The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. We're really glad you all are here, those that are gathered in person, those that are gathered online. And so because we've been empowered by God's Spirit to gather here, whether in person or online, I want to say this to you. May the peace of Christ rest upon you today. We are in a series, The Word of the Lord. And the word that comes to us today from God is out of Exodus chapter 1, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. So if you read along, just listen along with me. The word of the Lord. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for the Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And the Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all their tasks that they imposed on them. So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them whose name was uh, 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 Shephara and the other uh, Pua, when you, act, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the, the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw in the Nile. But you shall let every girl live. Oh. Is that it? Did we stop? Sorry. One more. Here we go. So now, <laughs> so now, good job reading along. It's a long text today. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. 
And when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with tar and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. And her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. And when she opened it, she saw a child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse? Uh, get, get you a nurse from the, uh, among the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And she took him as her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, for your word, we give you thanks. And today, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts to follow, and we pray for lives that will embody your word. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching. And all of this we ask in the name of Jesus, your word to us. Amen. The tide had turned for the Israelites. They were secure. I mean, they'd gone from the insecurity of famine to the security of food in Egypt. They also were favored, at least Joseph was favored in Israel. And they were becoming powerful because of their numbers. They also had privilege it says that the, the Egyptians looked and said, man, these Israelites are powerful. They enjoyed a certain amount of power in society. But it says this, that the Egyptians and the Pharaoh said, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we. Let us deal shrewdly with them. And then in verse 11 and 14, it says this. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and bricks and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They went from having security to having a life that was hard. It was not only hard uh, uh, physically, it was hard economically. I mean, there were slaves and also they were oppressed. So socially they had absolutely no power. And then it goes on to say that Verse 22, then Pharaoh gave orders to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw them into the Nile, but let every girl live. Not only do they find themselves in a situation where their lives are hard and bitter, now all their security is taken away. They are surrounded by death. 
and they feel like death is going to come upon their family at any moment. They are no longer safe. And then in chapter 2, 3 and 4, it says, but when she could no longer hide the baby, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what had happened. Not only were they forced with hard work, life was made hard and bitter for them. They were insecure because death, it seemed to be all around them. But it's like one thing after another. Just keep on piling on top. One thing after another keeps coming. And it doesn't even seem like their future is secure. She comes to this point where she doesn't feel like she can control any outcome in their future that all she's left to do is take a basket, put tar and pitch all over it, and then let her child go. Talk about not having any sense of control. Talk about not having any ability to cope with the future. Sociologists have a term for what is happening to the Hebrew people in this text, right? Their lives are made hard and bitter and they're oppressed. Their lives are threatened. Their security is gone. They're not safe. And their future is not under their control. It's difficult to imagine what their future might be because there's no control over it. Sociologists have a term for this. It's, it's a term that you've heard and that you've used, but what is happening to the Israelites is that they are disempowered. In fact, a good definition of being disempowered is this, that you lack control. And this lack of control is the result from severely restrained choices. The Israelites' choices have been restrained significantly about what work they can choose to do, about the security of their life and their children. They have little control over their future. And so you find Moses' mother, she does the unthinkable, knowing she can't hide her child any longer, she puts him in a basket and says, maybe, maybe he'll survive. Many are disempowered in our world today. And here's what that often looks like for us. It looks like economic and social difficulties, hardships. In other words, it looks like uh, not being able to have a stable income in the world. There are lots of people that live paycheck to paycheck or even well below some kind of international or even national poverty line. Their social 
they're at a social disadvantage because they don't have the kinds of privileges that give them options to make lots of choices. That's what it means to be disempowered. They also have insecurity. And what insecurity looks like is that you have a finite amount of resources. And so every decision you make goes from being a small decision to a ginormous decision because you don't have any margin for error. Most of us have margin for error in our lives. But for a lot of people, do I do this or do we do that? And I better choose wisely because my life and my family depends on it. And there's uncertainty. All of this leads to uncertainty. So lack of economic resources, lack of social privileges, everything is a risk. Every decision is a risk, makes it almost impossible to think about the future. The text in the New Testament don't worry about the future, for today has enough trouble of its own, is an experience that many people in this world have on a daily basis. Today, what am I going to do today? I was talking with some students in the brew at Oklahoma Christian, which is our coffee shop, and my students were asking me, because I direct the Center for Global Missions and uh, I do mission internships and I send students, allow them to present God's mission throughout the world. They were asking me, what's going on next summer? We want to be able to do this. We want to be able to do that. And I was like, I, I don't know what's going on next summer. I said, theoretically, we could send you next summer, theoretically. But the problem is we kind of have to know and line out a lot of these things in November before you go home for Christmas break because we got to start fundraising. we got to do all these things. And I said, I just don't know if we or the people we send you to are going to be in any position to make that decision in November. And then they said, well, Ben, what can we do? And I said, I'm really embarrassed, but I don't know. And I said, I've got to confess to you that I'm really, really embarrassed because even though I've known this pandemic was going on, when it first happened, it was all I could do to pay attention to the stuff I had right in front of me. And then as it went on, I just, it, it, was, it didn't ever occur to me to think about next year. And so I've just recently started thinking about that. And I'm confessing that in front of people who are my bosses. <laughs> I said, I'm really, really embarrassed about that. I said, I don't know why I can't think about and plan for the future, at least in this particular area of my, of my life and work. And then it hit me. COVID-19, on some level, has made me to experience what it's like to be disempowered. And one of the signs of a disempowered person is it's difficult to think about and plan for the future. Now, that's not the case in all my life. Not everything 
I haven't been, been paralyzed. But in this particular thing, I thought, you know what? I've been studying about this. I've had friends in Africa that have experienced this. I know this in my head. And now when I'm questioning, what's my problem? How can I, how can I get it together? And I said, because in many ways, I'm experiencing that kind of disempowerment. I have no control over next summer. John has the same feeling, I'm sure. Now for you, it might not be that you feel that you can't decide things for your future. But in some way, I think if we're honest with ourselves, the reality of the past five or six months has disempowered people which, by the way, most of us in the room have an enormous amount of power. We like to be able to control things, and we often do. But you don't have that kind of control anymore. And while we're a privileged people, and in some ways we've experienced this disempowerment, life has been made harder we don't feel like we have the options that we've always had. We don't feel like we can do the same things, or the same options are available. For example, many of us feel disempowered socially. We may feel isolated. I can't, Brett just said this morning, <laughs> he's like, I don't remember the last time I've hugged someone outside of my immediate family. Except the other day, the sound guy came in to deliver something. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And it's not like we're good friends, but we're just like, hey, we, before we know it, we just started hugging. I thought, what am I doing? I'm not used to doing this. Because our instinct is, and maybe you're not a hugger, but it's to interact and, with people. But we second guess that. And maybe we feel isolated. Maybe it's, it's stress, depression. Maybe it's economic problems, the fear of loss of a job or the actual loss of a job. And there's just not that many opportunities out there. At least not as many as there were before. Maybe we're kidding ourselves. Maybe there's more than we think, but there's just not at least of what we're used to. And security has been taken away from us as well. Not only with our jobs and the economy, but we are experiencing death around us and we are exposed to death in a unique way. Death is always around us as human beings. But somehow we're made more aware of it in this time. And it feels like one thing after another keeps hitting us. So we ask questions. What if I get it? It's a legit question. Whether you're asymptomatic or not. You ask questions like, what if I spread it to someone? Because it may not affect me, but I've got a very good friend at Oklahoma Christian who actually falls in the category of, of uh, probably where his age is, of being more vulnerable. 
But he's like, man, I'm not so worried about myself. I'm really worried about my students. I'm worried about my colleagues. I'm worried, what if I have it and don't know it and give it to someone else? What will it do, this whole COVID-19 do to how I'll provide for my family? How will I be able to manage financially in school? Like there's all of these questions that are, rise out of this insecurity of our time and the place that we live. And this is a given. The future, this is uncertain. How do I plan? What do I plan for? We keep talking about getting back to normal, and then we say, but is there a new normal? And what in the world is that going to look like? Now, not every part of your life revolves around these kinds of questions or stress, but they are there. And because they're there, you've experienced disempowerment in ways that maybe many of us have not experienced before, given our privilege. I think about parents, particularly because I am one. And maybe while it's not this dramatic, I think about Moses' mother who has to make the decision to let him go. And so she pieces together the most safe thing possible and she pushes him out into the Nile which, by the way, I've been to the Nile and in the Nile many times. It's not the safest place in the world. It pushes him out and stands there and says, let's see what happens. In many ways, while it's not this dramatic, it's like this past week when we got our kids ready for school and put their mask on. And while schools have done their best to assemble uh, papyrus baskets and put the tar in the pitch and make it as simple as possible. We're all pushing them out and holding our breath and saying, what's going to happen next? We all experience some disempowerment. But in chapter 2, verse 5 through 10, it says this. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she had compassion on him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And it says this. She asked the question, should I go and get the nurse, someone to nurse for you, says, yes, she answered, go. So the girl went, got up, and got the mother's baby, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. What we see 
in this text is this move from being disempowered to being empowered. When everything could have gone wrong after pushing the baby out, it says that that Pharaoh's daughter looked and found this baby and she had compassion on him. I've talked about this before. My students here hear me say this often, that we get our English word compassion from the Latin word calm, which means with, and passio, which means suffering. So literally, what we, when we say we have compassion on someone, is that you are with them in their suffering. Is that God, through this Egyptian woman, is with that little child in his suffering. And then it says this, is that she was able to respond to him. Because she had compassion, she's able to respond with at least a few things. She could have left him to die in the reeds, but she didn't. She could have handed him over to the authorities, but because she had compassion, she didn't. And because she had compassion... Her response was life-giving to Moses. And in the end, life-giving to all of God's people. And then finally, she empowers Moses through a mother. She says, take this child and find someone to nurse him. And not only find someone to care for him, but I'll pay them to do this. And what you see is compassion that leads to response that leads to empowerment. And then I love this line. It says, then we called him Moses because I drew him out. That's what Moses means. I drew him out. And this is what God does to Moses. He has compassion on him and responds with life-giving action to him. And he empowers him and draws him out to participate in his purposes. Not only for his own life, but for the life of God's people and for the life of the world. God is drawing you and I out today. In a moment of disempowerment, he is empowering us. One, that he looks on us with compassion. In this time when you, in the little ways that you are, suffering. Jesus, God, is suffering with us. And because he has compassion on us, he's able to respond to us. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. He doesn't hand us over to death. But his response is life-giving. And he empowers us for life and his purposes. In our text today, salvation looks like this. It looks like the movement from disempowerment to empowerment. Salvation is being totally vulnerable and disempowered in a tar and pitched basket, open to all the elements with the threat of death, totally disempowered, to then being empowered 
by the work of God in the life of Pharaoh's daughter. God is drawing us out for his purposes. He is suffering with us. He's responding in life-giving ways. And he's empowering. And this is what he is empowering us for. In a time where we have been disempowered, God is empowering his people, and I believe this to be true. He is empowering you and I to be compassionate, to suffer with. And because he has empowered us to compassion, he's empowering us to be able to respond in life-giving ways, not leaving people in the reeds, helpless and alone. Not giving them over and saying, well, that's the end. But being life-giving in our responses. And because he's empowering us to do all these things, we too, to be compassionate and responsive and to empower others for the life of the world. God is drawing you and I out. And will you respond to him and be empowered today?